Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Today we continue our series in Proverbs entitled Living Wisely. And as Dawn has established over the past two weeks, the book of Proverbs is a guidebook for wisdom. These These wise words do not tell us how to make a living, but how to be skillful in the lost art of making a life. And I think it's a very timely message for our society and for our culture. And so as we continue in our study, we'll discover that this book has a lot to say about what we say. In fact, Proverbs refers to our words, tongue, mouth, or lips over 150 times in just 31 chapters. So before we jump in and look at words and tongues and speech and the consequences and how we manage them, I want to ask a very simple question to launch us today is, why is speech such a major concern for the writers of Proverbs? Why is speech such a major concern for the writers of Proverbs? What motivated them to spend a third of what they wrote on what we say? What is it about words that is so crucial for us to to grasp? And out of the book of Proverbs, I would say that there are four main reasons that we need to look at words. First of all, the writers of Proverbs have an underlying concern for the community. Speech and community go hand in hand. Bruce Walk says, the importance of effective speech cannot be overemphasized. All social values depend on some form of communications. This claim is substantiated not only in Proverbs, but elsewhere in the Old Testament. After the great flood of Genesis 6-9, the shared common language enabled humans to act in defiance of God. They organized to build a city with a tower that would reach into the heavens, Genesis chapter 11. Their speech brought them together in a united front against God to lift their community to rival God. So God intervenes. So we read and discover in Proverbs that speech is important because it has the power to build or destroy communities. It has the power to build or defeat faith communities too. Proverbs 11, 10 and 11 says this, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. But by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. The mouth of the wicked is a very clear, explicit reference to speech and to words. In contrast to the mouth of the wicked, the blessing And the words of the upright implies a general claim that speech is good when it is good for a city, but when speech is not good, it is bad for a city and bad for a community. One does one and the other does the opposite. Proverbs, and therefore by extension, God cares for and about community and highlights the fact that liars, mockers, people who gossip and the wicked and all else who do not value high speech are threats to good, truthful communication and are therefore a real threat to community. 
Secondly, I believe that the writers of the Proverbs have an underlying concern for the family. The writers of Proverbs are demonstrating concern for speech as it affects family and marriage. However, their writing is limited by the absence of women writers due to the target audience of this book. The book of Proverbs was written in and to a patriarchal culture and a patriarchal setting. It's always helpful to remember this, that the scriptures are written for us, but not to us. Proverbs is like listening to a conversation between a father and a son. This advice is to a young prince who is being trained for royalty. If this book were addressing a princess, then it would read entirely different. You would be listening into another completely different conversation. So we have to somewhat imagine, perhaps regrettably if I can say that, to have to imagine what a female writer, what a female sage would have to say to women from their perspective. That would have been really fun to have heard, I think. So back to Proverbs. We read that the writers warn men against the seductive speech of women who can destroy their lives and their marriages. Proverbs 2, verses 16 to 19 says, you will be saved from the loose women, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the partner of her youth and forgets her sacred covenant. For her way leads down to death and her paths to the shades. Those who go to, go to her never come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. We learn here that parental words and speech are attempting to keep young men from listening to the words of other women and falling into their hands. They are concerned about seductive speech, not merely because of the words themselves, but because of what listening to them and acting on them would do to this young man's life, marriage, and family. And I would like to suggest that if we heard a woman's perspective, it would be saying exactly the same thing, but in a different way. These are things that need to be important for your life, for your marriage, and for your family. Now following, now this is great, following chapter nine, the writer turns their attention to the relationship between the husband and the wife which could be fascinating and troublesome to cover at any depth this morning. The only comment I'm going to make here at this stage is this. It is true enough that living with women who have the speech patterns and habits that are mentioned here by the writers do create a difficult life and a difficult person to live with. However, it is just as true that living with men who share these and other types of derogatory and even abusive speech patterns can be incredibly difficult and hellish to live with too. It goes both ways. Thirdly, I believe they have an underlying concern for integrity. Integrity exists when our actions match our inner commitment, our true selves. What proverb calls the heart. The wise of heart Proverbs tell us, will heed commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The writers of Proverbs deploy and translate the Hebrew word leb, L-E-B, literally L-E-B, in two ways. Firstly, it is seen, the heart is seen as the seat of our thoughts and thinking. In this book, 
To possess heart means to have an intelligent heart, to have an intelligent center of thinking, a good mind. Proverbs 18:15 says, "The heart of the prudent acquires, acquires knowledge. The wise desire more wisdom and know how to get it." And it also uh, contrasts by saying, "To have a lack of or to be without this type of heart means to have no sense." That's what it means in, in, uh, in Proverbs. It literally means if you don't have this type of heart, you will not have any sense. It actually uses it quite stronger, much stronger in a few more chapters when it says, "You will be senseless." So what the writer or the writers are getting at here is this. Our thinking all starts with our heart. Our heart makes the plans. Proverbs 6 verse 18 refers to a heart that devises wickedness. Jeremiah talks about the deceitfulness of our hearts. And it says we need to get a wise heart in order to make good decisions. The second way that the word leb is described is also seen as the seat of our emotions. It is used in the area of gladness and cheerfulness and delight and serenity. It is also used in the opposite form of sorrow, illicit desire, bitterness, and much more. So what Proverbs is saying is this. Those of us who have a disconnect between our heart and our mouth are alarming and deeply concerning to the writer of the book. They are deeply concerned about integrity in community and in life itself. And so these words are written to us, so we are exhorted and encouraged to have a heart and a mouth that line up with each other. You know, sadly, some people may value smooth lips that flatter or say kind words, but may have an evil heart. This is what the Bible is challenging here in this, these 31 chapters. They may just, hey, with disregard, tell a lie, totally disregarding God's ability to see inside the human heart. Such people are dangerous to a faith community or to any community. But a person with integrity, however, speaks from the heart truthfully about what they believe. They are open and honest and speak with integrity about what they feel or what they think. And it's not the type of person who says, well, I'm gonna tell it as it is. I'm just gonna tell it straight. You know those type of person, those type of people that we regrettably bump into very often. It's just say, well, I'm gonna say it as it sees, or as I see it. Well, Proverbs says that's not the type of person we want to be either when we're talking about integrity. Because Proverbs tells us that when, when we couple together Integrity and honesty, along with gracious speech, then comes great influence. That's what Proverbs says in 10.21. All these things come together when we have those, that alignment. And thirdly, or fourthly I should say, the writers have an underlying concern for good character. <laughs> these are so important. In other words, wisdom is not a destination which we arrive at, but a way of life. Proverbs 3. 21 to 24 tells us, it is a path chosen by the wise, not because it is the easiest path, but because it offers a way to live and walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the metaphor of the path requires a conscious decision each day to follow it by practicing certain disciplines that lead to the formation of good character, which of course Proverbs is all about. Speech and how we speak factors hugely 
into the process of having a good character. And when three things align, the writer of Proverbs says, when we listen to the wise, when we, and don't talk to all the time, when the seat of our thinking, our heart, is working on integrity, and the overflow of all this are words of honesty, kindness, gentleness, and empathy, a good character is being formed. So Proverbs is having a go at making us into having a good character so that we can impact whatever position or place we find ourselves in, whether it be in our families, whether it be in our community. That's the foundation that comes out of Proverbs. And so we all know our words are incredibly powerful. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruits. Our words either launch life or they deliver death. Words can be devastating or delightful. They can energize people or they can wipe them out. They can tear up or they can knock down. Everything that we have said this past week in relationship to other people falls somewhere on the scale on the power of words between bringing death or negativity to or to breathing life or encouraging people on the other scale. So therefore, when Proverbs lists several examples of how the tongue can be used to hurt and destroy and kill other people, it would be good that we would remind ourselves of how we should speak on a daily basis. And I'm just gonna run through some of the devastating ways and then we're gonna see how we can apply some good things to our life. The Bible talks about gossip. Gossip, Proverbs 20 verse 19 says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. Proverbs 18 verse eight tells us that some people feed on gossip like others enjoy food. The Living Bible says it wonderfully. It says, when date, Dainty morsels, what dainty morsels rumors are, they are eaten with great relish. This means that gossip is usually fun and interesting because it appeals to our desire for information and details about other people's lives, and we all love to be in the know. The danger is that when we feed on gossip, we always crave for more. That reminds me of a person who was gossiping to his friend about someone in the church, and when the church asked a question to get more of the juicy details, his buddy replied, I've already told you more than I know. <laughs> Angry words. Some of you have experienced the pain and destruction that come from being around someone or people who spew vol volcanic verbiage, who are given to anger. Proverbs 29, 22 says, an angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered man <laughs> commits many sins. Like only Rick Warren can, he says it like this, when you, when you let anger take control, there is a cost. When you lose your temper, you always lose. Anger comes with a price tag. Angry words, lying. Proverbs 6 verse 17 says, we read there that a lying tongue is one of the things that God hates the most. Proverbs 12 verse 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. These things destroy. 
flattery. Oh, many of us secretly enjoy flattery, but Proverbs warns us to be on our guard against those who sweet talk. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. And the last one very quickly is impulsive speech, impulsive speaking, and this is huge. Proverbs 29, 20 says these things. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And you know, we have all experienced, well, I believe we've all experienced the horror of saying something too quickly and we have opened mouth and inserted foot. And you know, that does happen. We all make those mistakes, but it needs to be a mistake and not a habit. So, How does Proverbs advise us to manage our words? This book is unequivocal in its challenge to us to be careful about our conversations. Proverbs 21, 23 says, he who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself from calamity. So I'm gonna suggest some ways how the Proverbs suggests that we live our life as followers of Christ. First of all, I believe that Proverbs tells us and teaches us to think more. Probably for most of us, our mouth mistakes are made because we simply don't engage our brain first. 12 verse 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword. When I say something that is insensitive or unkind, it is usually because I've not spent any time thinking about what I have said, it just rolls out of my mouth. Perhaps I need to think more in those situations. Proverbs 15, 28, New American Standard says these words, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We need to ponder before we pour out words. When we think more, we'd be better able to avoid messing up with our words. In a very helpful article called The Tyranny of Urgent by Charles Hummel, he says, it is often best to tell someone that you can't give an answer to a request until you go away, think about it, and pray about it if necessary. Such really good advice. When we are asked a question or asked for our thoughts or our opinion, we don't have to have answers for everything. I don't know, but maybe it's just us as human beings or as Christians or I don't know. Sometimes as Christians, we think we have to have an answer for everything because people will think less of us if we don't have the answer. You know what is a great answer? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I can get back to you with an answer. I'm gonna tell you a story to show about a habit that made an impact and a very powerful uh, story, I believe. I have have an older sister who um, is a few years older than me and she was in the British police for something like 30 plus years. And I tell this story because it highlights something that the habit she developed in her life. She, uh, was one of the, she was the youngest female police inspector in the whole of the United, uh, United Kingdom when she got promoted. And she was incredibly well respected and thought of. In the early um, 21st century, after a few terrorist events in London after 9-11, she, I don't know what this meant really, but she was put in, if there was a dirty bomb, 
or a terrorist attack in London, she was in control, she was overseeing all the mortuaries in the greater London area. Such was her job. And when she was asked one day what was the key to her secret of wisdom and understanding things, she told the following story. She said, when I was a young policeman, she said there was an older police sergeant who came to me and said, I want to give you some advice. He says, as you go up the ranks, which you undoubtedly will, you need to form the habit that when you were asked for immediate answers to questions or situations that you find yourself in, is that you excuse yourself for one minute or two minutes, or you put the phone down and you say, I will get back to you in a minute or two minutes. That's not going to change the situation. And the advice that she was given was then to sit down and to ponder what answer she would give. And she would then pray into that situation and she would say, Lord, I need to give an answer here. And it was a habit that she developed over 30 plus years in the police. And she was known for an outstanding uh, person on making judgment calls and wisdom and just getting people through situations. And she would say that it was because she took time to think more and not respond immediately. You see, this takes the pressure off and helps us think through our other commitments and responsibilities. Sometimes, if you have someone pressuring you for an answer there and then, it's best not to answer them and metaphorically walk away if you can't really answer it. We may think that we are being rude, but perhaps they are being unreasonable in expecting us to give an answer immediately. Proverbs 26.4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. <laughs> before you answer. Let's think more. Secondly, talk less. Proverbs t- says about talking too much. I think that this is crucially important and sometimes we would do good to talk less in situations. Our chances of blowing it with our words are directly related to the amount of time we spend talking. The Quakers have a saying filled with so much truth. They say, never break the silence unless you can improve on it. Abraham Lincoln, probably most of us will know this one, was fond of saying, it is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> you know, very, very challenging words of Proverbs 10, 19, when it says this words, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. The more we talk, the less likely, the more likely, I should say, and susceptible we are to trespassing or saying something that doesn't need to be said. Perhaps the less we talk, the greater chance we have of getting wisdom. It is not infrequent that I'm in a pastoral conversation with someone and in my mind and in my spirit, I'm not getting anywhere. Sometimes I find myself in those conversations and it's as if I'm in a swirl and Every now and then, the Holy Spirit will drop this verse, Proverbs 10, 19, into my mind and into my spirit that says, where there is many words, sin is not absent. And you know, something comes on for me. I've been given a key to a situation. I may not know what that situation is or what we're talking about here. Ah, there's a lot of other stuff going on here that I need to be aware of. And one of my favorite Proverbs is 17, verse 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Once heard it says, I choose silence 
when I am hurt because if I speak, if I, speak I would be the rudest person you know. William Norris once wrote, to keep your lips from making slips, from making mistakes, five things observe with care. In other words, consider these factors when you speak. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. Recognizing that most of us could stand to talk less and those around us and probably our family members would probably agree. Let me give seven situations very briefly that I believe that we need to consider doing this in practice. Now, not all these will be relevant to us all, but some will be relevant to us all. First of all, when we're tempted to say, I told you so. That really goes down really well in marriage. You know what, <laughs> we, have, we have wedding seasons, um, and one of, one of the things I do in a wedding season is I'd pick a phrase that I would speak, I wouldn't speak on the same sermon at every wedding, but I would always bring this um, piece of advice up. And about two years ago, the piece of advice that I gave at those uh, weddings that year was, not every word that comes into your head has got to come out through your mouth. I think that is so wise in every situation. When you're tempted to say, I told you so, when you have information that makes someone look bad, be quiet, say nothing. When someone is upset about a problem and you had a similar experience, don't shift the focus of the conversation to yourself or share horror stories. Life isn't all about us, but often you'd think it is by the way that people talk about themselves. Have you been in those conversations? I'm sure you haven't. And you're sharing about a situation, oh yes, I went exactly through the same thing, but it was 10 times worse. Shut up, I don't care. I really don't care. You ask me, how am I doing? Well, listen. Sorry. Am I being grumpy? I'm not looking at my wife, I'm looking at my my mate. You know when you're tempted to judge or criticize someone? It's a good time to be quiet. This is a good one. When you want to correct someone on a minor point as they tell a story. Isn't that great? It's like correcting someone on a minor point that's really irrelevant, but good on us. We want to do it. You know, when someone has not asked for your opinion, that is a great time not to give your opinion. <laughs> I often say to people now, because in, in conversation, they say, hey, what do you think? I said, let's be clear here. You are asking me for my opinion? Oh, yes, well, then I can give it. When you want to tell some, something about yourself in order to impress others, you know, that's a good time to keep quiet as well. You know, if you struggle with talking too much, let me encourage you to build some silence and solitude into your day. Practice silence and solitude with a friend or with a spouse. You know, sometimes turn the background music off. When you run or go to the gym or you go for a walk, just sometimes do it in silence. As it were, let your head get cleared. Sometimes I think we're too scared to be alone with ourselves, so we inject all these other things in. Sometimes it's good just to clear our head. And you know what might happen? You might hear the still, small voice of a heavenly father. Thirdly, listen better. Someone, you know the old adage we have, is it two ears and one mouth, and there's a clue there from God? We need to listen better. Proverbs 15, 31 says, he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. I don't want to go on too much about this, but you know, 
I don't think that I have ever learned anything by speaking. I mainly learn by listening. Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. Just moving through pretty quickly. You know what I think one of the greatest things that we can do with our words is to encourage others? Do we realize that there are people around us this morning who are so discouraged? They may not look it, they may have a smile on their face, but they're clever, but they're still despondent and discouraged. God can use our words to breathe life into a person who is overwhelmed by life's problems. 15 verse four says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Are we the kind of people that other people are glad to see coming into the room? Or do people metaphorically turn their face away when they see us? Do we bring that sense of, man, that's, that person's a good person to be with, they're really good and they're encouraging, they're not negative and they're always like just, not just optimistic for the, sake, but for the sake of being optimistic, but they have hope and a joy in their savior. Which type of person are we when we enter a room? Are we known as someone who is encouraging or just good to be around? Or perhaps we are not. I'd encourage each and every one of us to plan every day at least once to bring encouragement to people's situation. I had a really sad story, a sad incident, I would say. I, about four or five months ago, I told some of you this, I, I had to go to the hospital, somebody had been taken in the night before, and they said, go to a reception, and they'll tell you who that person is. And I, and I went, and they said, we don't know where that person is, can you go through, oops, into ED, and they'll tell you. So I went into ED, and those of you who go up there, it's, it's pretty chaotic, and I didn't have to wait long, but I got to the front of the queue, and I did nothing different to what any of you would have done. Uh, and I just went up to the, the counter, and this lady, she must have been nah, late 40s, early 50s, and I said, I'm really sorry to bother you, but can you help me, please? And she broke down in tears. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, do I have this effect on everybody? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, nightmare. And she said, I'll come back in 30 seconds. I thought, oh, you know, you go, what have I said? So going through my mind, I said, sorry to bother you, can I help you? And I said, oh. and she came back. I said, sorry I made you cry. She said, no, no. She said, I've been, on, I've been on this shift for eight hours, and you're the first person who spoke nicely to me. And you're the first person that said thank you or, or apologizing for bothering me. And she cried again. And I did nothing. But you know, that's the type of people we need to be. <laughs> and sometimes it's just being that person in a situation. It's not being super spiritual or trying to be religious or whatever. It's just being the people of God, doing what the people of God do. Speak gently. You know, one reason we may have difficult time encouraging people is because we're not known as people who speak gently with others. We may not deliberately set out to be unkind, but it comes across the way that we are. We just need to have that self-realization. You know, Proverbs 15 verse one says about speaking gently, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The next time you're talking with someone who is really twisted, instead of responding in turn, give a gentle answer, it will change the situation. Proverbs 25, 15 says, though patience, through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Just got two or three more. I think this is huge. 
I don't have a biblical phrase for it, but I'm just going to say it. We need to cut people slack with our words and with our language and how we interact in these areas. Most of us are way too tough on others. We often expect much more from others while excusing our own idiosyncrasies. We grow our grudges instead of giving grace. If we wish to tame our tongue and give life to others, then practice the principle found in Proverbs 12, 16 says, a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult and gives people slack. That's my ending. Some of us get bent out of shape at people who sin differently than we do. I'm convinced that each of us, that each, each of us could learn to overlook some things, we would be happier and healthier as individuals, families, and as a church. Now, I'm not suggesting that we overlook gross sin. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes the word of the Lord to us as individuals is, let it go. I think that's what Proverbs is trying to tell us here. It's one thing we need to learn is when people do things different, it may not be wrong, it may just be different. Let me suggest that we begin practicing this phrase in our relationship. It will help us cut other people some slack and hopefully provide us with a greater relational harmony and our minds peace. Sem, avoid gossip. This is great, isn't it? I love this phrase. A gossip is just a, pers- it's just a fool with a keen sense of rumor. Proverbs 11 13 says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. 16 verse 8 says, a gossip separates close friends. I know, I need to know, we're on the whole area of gossip, I need to know that my name is safe with you when I'm out of the room, if you are still in the room. And you need to know that your name is safe with me, always. Remember this rule about gossip. The more interesting it is, the more likely it is to be false. You know, one of the best ways to avoid gossip is simply to refuse to listen to it. When someone is sharing something with you, tell them or tell her, you know, I really don't want to know. This is not my issue and I'm not going to let you make it my issue. I want you to go and deal with it. (coughs) One of the best, I think arguably the best, The best communicator uh, in the Christian church today, uh, especially in the English-speaking world, is an English evangelist by the name of J. John. He is Greek by ethnicity, incredibly funny, raised and born and raised in the UK. His name is Canon J. John. John. If you go on YouTube, they have a a, a YouTube channel that talks about interview the Canon, before the Canon or something like that. And I found this snippet where he talks about Gossip. Thank you. So good. Gossip. 
don't quarrel. You know, God values community more than he does conflict. As Romans 12 verse 8 says, 18 says, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with others. And before I start to wrap up very quickly, my last and final point here is, you know, when we act, when we talk about people or situations or events that have happened, not only represent their words, but accurately represent the tenor in which it was said. You can quote somebody's words exactly the same and still make it mean something different. Think about it. You can make it totally different if you don't give the tenor of the voice or the context of the situation. You can ruin people's reputations and what they have said. Not just the words, the tenor is so important. Musicians, please come and join me. There is a small island in Indonesia called Zumba. There it is. They have a section called, and I can't even really say it in, in uh, Indonesia, but in a part of this island, there is a group of people of an area called the land of the Undo people. The land of the Undo people. The people of this region have been gifted, and I think they're pretty unique, they have been gifted with a genetic undo function that allows them to quickly take back the very last thing they have said without anyone knowing that was ever said. It is unique to this part on this, of an island in Indonesia. And the word spoken can un, be undone and can be taken back and nobody hears it. They have an, it is an incredible gift. A husband can speak harshly to his wife, no harm is done because the undo function takes it back. Two people gossip, they can do the same. A word is spoken in anger between two lifelong friends, but the relationship never ruptures because they have this genetic, incredible genetic ability to undo it and take back what they have said. See, while, whilst God did not create an undo function for the things we say. He did create something called repentance and restoration. And perhaps more than any other function, it is the ability for us to ask and receive forgiveness from others that we have offended and those who have offended us. This morning, do we need to repent and go to someone today and ask for forgiveness for what we've said or they have said? Or do we need to grant forgiveness to someone for something that was said to us? If there is, repentance and restoration is the undo, biblical way of making restoration. I'd encourage us to take care of this today and keep short accounts with people on a daily basis. When you mess up with your mouth, repent and make things right. When we've been lacerated by a cutting comment, Restore that person with grace and kindness. You know, in closing, we can use our words to do some of the following. We have to choose ourselves whether to tear people down or build them up, to bring hope into the world or bring darkness, to spread lies or share truth. We can inspire unity or inflame division. The choice is ours. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.